Welcome to the When God Calls podcast. I am your host, Michael McCaskill, public servant, lay servant, and cancer survivor. Each episode, you will hear motivational stories from people whose lives have been changed by serving others. Along the way, you'll get tips and strategies that you can use to become a more effective Christian. Thanks for listening. Now let the journey continue. On May 11, 2002, Eric Smallridge left a bar where he had been drinking with some friends. He was 24 and felt fine to drive home. Shortly thereafter, he crashed into Megan Napier and Lisa Dixon, both 20 and best friends. They both died in the crash, and Eric watched as the officers put the white sheet over the car with them still inside. Megan and Lisa's parents were devastated. Subsequently, Eric was sentenced to 22 years in prison. 11 years for each girl. Some of us have experienced similar tragedies in our lives, and some of us have experienced other types of tragedies. How do we rebound from something like that? How can we deal with such a horrible blow to our lives? Well, the answer lies in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew. Here, Peter is asking Jesus just how many times he should forgive someone for sinning against him. Seven times, he asks? No, 77 times, Jesus answers. How could you keep up with that many times to forgive? Well, the answer is you can't, and that is the point. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The main character in this parable went through three stages in his experiences with forgiveness. First, he was a debtor. He needed forgiveness. This man was stealing funds from the king and got caught. He owed about 10,000 talents, The total tax levy in those days was about 800 talents, about $10 million in today's money. He thought he could pay it all back if given enough time. You see, there were two sins here, pride and lack of sincere repentance. He thought he was big enough to earn the money to repay the king. In that day, he would have had to work one year just to make one talent. That was his pride. And he also wasn't ashamed because he stole, but because he got caught. He had a lack of sincere repentance. You see, he had no hope except that the king was compassionate and forgave the servant's debt. It was forgiveness that the servant did not deserve, but was an act of love by the master. The servant left the king with his slate wiped clean. In our story, Eric Smallridge is the debtor. He desperately needs forgiveness. In the parable, The second thing was he was a creditor. He needed to give forgiveness. When he left the king, he found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. Servants earned about one denarii a day. This debt was insignificant compared to his debt. The fellow servant requested the same compassion and asked for additional time to pay the debt back. The servant refused to do so, demanded payment, and threw the fellow servant into prison. Now, he may have had a legal right to put the man in prison, but not the moral right. He had been forgiven a much larger debt. In our story, Renee is the creditor. She desperately needs to give forgiveness. And the third thing the servant did is he became a prisoner. You see, he wasn't willing to give or receive true forgiveness. 
When the king heard of the servant's unwillingness to give the same forgiveness as he was given, he said, If you want to live by justice, you shall have it. And he had him thrown into prison and tormented. The worst prison we can find ourselves in is an unforgiving heart. Refusing to forgive others only imprisons ourselves and causes our own torment. This servant had received forgiveness but had not experienced forgiveness deep in his heart. Without experiencing forgiveness, he couldn't share that forgiveness with others. If we live according to justice, we will put ourselves into prison. But if we live according to forgiveness and share the same forgiveness God shares with us, we will be freed from bondage and experience a true joy. Renee and Eric were both imprisoned because of the lack of forgiveness, one physically and both figuratively. Renee wanted to be sure Megan's death wasn't in vain, so she began educating teens on the dangers of drinking and driving. Each time she would give her talk, she felt something was missing. She had bitterness, hatred, and anger all pent up inside her, and it was imprisoning her. God began working on her and led her to a point where she could forgive Eric. They became close, and Renee petitioned the Department of Corrections to allow Eric to join her as an inmate so both sides of the story could be told. Lisa's parents also forgave Eric, and they joined the Napiers in petitioning the judge and asked for Eric's sentence to be cut in half. The judge agreed, and now Eric and Renee have a bond like no other. They still travel the country talking to teens on the dangers of drunk driving. Forgiveness has changed both of their lives forever. When we forgive, we break the chains of bondage for both ourselves and those we forgive. You know, C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Connor McBride and Ann Grossmeyer had been dating for about three years. They and their families had grown very close, and the Grossmeyers felt like the young couple will one day be married. On March 28, 2010, Connor McBride walked into the Tallahassee Police Department and said, You need to arrest me. I just shot my girlfriend. About an hour earlier, he had shot Ann and left her for dead in his parents' home. When Michael, Connor's father, arrived at the hospital, Andy Grossmeyer approached Michael and, to both of their surprises, they hugged. Andy told Michael, thank you for being here, but I might hate you by the end of this week. That night, Andy stood beside Ann's bed in the intensive care unit of Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. Not much could be heard but the sound of the ventilators and the machines keeping her alive. Andy knew that without a miracle from God, his daughter wouldn't survive. Kate, Ann's mother, had gone home to try and get some sleep, and Andy was alone praying for Ann, listening for her voice. While he was praying, Andy felt her say, Forgive him. Andy said, No way! It's impossible! You're asking too much. Four days later, Ann's parents removed her from life support. When Connor was booked, he was asked for five names that could visit him in jail. One of those names was Kate, Ann's mother. When she finally got the strength to visit, she asked Andy if he had a message for Connor. He said, tell him I love him and forgive him. Kate wanted to be able to give the same message. By doing so, she released Connor from a debt he could never repay 
but it would also release her from expecting that anything in this world could satisfy them. Kate and Andy heard about a concept called restorative justice. This is where families of the victim, the accused, the state's attorney, and a community representative get together and each have an uninterrupted turn to speak, and at the end, the goal was to come up with a punishment that they could all live with. They, along with the McBrides, researched the possibilities and decided that they had to give it a try. Ultimately, they were able to get the assistant state's attorney to agree to the meeting. It was an excruciating experience for everyone. However, they did reach a consensus of 10 to 15 years in prison. That is, except for the assistant state's attorney. He wanted to speak to community leaders and others to include the state's attorney before arriving at his suggested punishment. A few weeks later, the assistant state's attorney wrote to Andy and Kate, and they offered Connor a choice of 20 years in prison plus 10 years probation or 25 years. The Grossmeyers felt like they were successful. Connor chose 20 years plus probation and is serving his sentence right now in the Liberty County Correctional Institute. Connor's parents visit him regularly and the Grossmeyers visit him about once a month. They all experienced deep forgiveness and it changed their lives forever. What could have ruined their lives actually saved their lives. Now these are extreme cases of forgiveness that most of us will probably never experience. But the same desperate need for us to forgive and to experience forgiveness is the same. To release ourselves from the prison of bitterness and hate We have to learn to forgive just as God forgives us. The best summation of this principle I have ever heard is in a song written by Matthew West. It is appropriately entitled, Forgiveness. Many of you may have heard it, but have you really ever listened to the lyrics? Well, they go like this. It's the hardest thing to give away, and the last thing on your mind today, it always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they've caused is just too real. Takes everything you have to say the word. Forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you've got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying set it free. Forgiveness. It'll clear the bitterness away It can even set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. Forgiveness. That is the most beautiful poem, the most beautiful song I have ever heard that describes just how much we need to forgive each other. And only by experiencing true forgiveness can we give true forgiveness. From this moment forward, let's commit to practicing forgiveness, giving what God has given to us, and setting prisoners free that includes people just like me. Run to the Lord and let Him help you forgive. Well,